You're listening to Tech Thursday on West Limerick 102 FM. Hello there and you're very welcome to Tech Thursday. This is Patrick Sheehan. I'm going to be with you for the next hour or so looking at all the latest in tech and answering any questions you might have. As always, you can call 069-66200 or text or WhatsApp 087-166-9800. But uh, the best way to get to me is mark a question on email for Tech Thursday and you can send it to patrick102fm at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as I said, I'm going to be looking at all the latest in tech. And uh, But first, I'm going to answer a question from John in the Castle West. And John in the Castle West is asking, what's the best uh, studio headphones for uh, his uh, doing a, a podcast? And uh, he wants to know what would be some of the best studio headphones. So I have a few ideas myself, but I got up uh, an article on Music Radar to just have a look at what they say are... Kind of these would be more the high end ones, and um, so I'd be more um, I, I'd have more knowledge of the the mid to mid to entry level kind of ones. Uh, although I have uh, well, they're not studio headphones, but I have like the Sony XM4s, which would be pretty high end, but they'd be kind of um, they'd be more of a, an outdoor kind of a rechargeable kind of. They wouldn't be studio, but the 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 quality of the the audio is excellent. So. They could be used in studio, but they're more of a multi-purpose headphones. But these would be uh, the top studio headphones, so we'll see what they say. Um, so number one in their list is the Focal Listen Professional Studio Headphones. Uh, they have a closed back. They're the over-ear kind. I think most of the studio ones would be over-ear. Um, a 32-ohm impedance. Uh, it's a titanium 40 mil driver. And they're wired. Yeah, most of them would be wired as well, the, stu- the studio ones. Sturdy and comfortable fit, solid sound representation at low volumes and distinctive looks. Silicone headband attracts sweat. That's the that's the downside. Um, well, yeah, with studio headphones, you want something that doesn't color the audio too much. You don't want a very bassy headphones or very um, squeaky or anything. You just want a kind of neutral because you want to, if you're editing audio, if you're doing things like that, you don't want um, you don't want it changing the changing your, your final product uh, in your ears. You want it to to be as neutral as possible. Because if you do all your editing and you're using those headphones and you say, "Oh, that sounds nice. It's plenty bassy. It sounds very good." With with a, a different set of headphones, and then you give it to somebody, you burn it onto a CD, and you give it to somebody, or you upload it onto Spotify or something like that, and all of a sudden people hear it and they say that doesn't sound great. Now uh, you know on their car stereo on uh, their own headphones, um, so you want a good all around sound that uh, can translate to lots of different places as neutral as possible. Um, I was uh, doing a sound engineering course years ago and the guy giving the course was actually, uh, he mixed music in America for like rap singers and uh, things like that. And he said any albums he mixed down, uh, he always went out. The the last thing he did before he kind of released it or, or gave the final go ahead was he actually brought it out on disc or on memory stick or whatever to his car and put it on in the car to listen to it there. Uh, and if it sounded good there, he'd give it his final approval then. Uh, yeah, because you'd be listening in perfect speakers inside in the studio with uh, all, you know, the sound, all um, no echoes in the sound or anything like that. You'd be listening on high-end headphones, but where people will generally be listening was 
maybe in their own earbuds or headphones or in their car more than likely. So um, that's uh, the studio headphones. You want them as neutral as possible to, to when you're editing audio and things like that. So that's that's a bit of a background to what makes what's the difference between studio headphones and normal uh, you know house uh, headphones you'd use out and about or um, just listening to your own music. So that one was number one. Let's see what else they have in the list. Uh, Bear Dynamic DT700 Pro. Um, it's a 40, there's two different versions, a 45 and 50 millimeter uh, driver. So they're bigger drivers. Um, 48 um, is the impedance there as well. Um, great sound isolation, superb sound, extremely comfortable. Uh, they're more expensive than the DT770 Pro. Uh, so did they do they give prices for these? Um, they don't. Yeah, they don't have prices here. But uh, uh, unless I click through, the, there's links for for them. I think. So let's see if they if it gives a price. Um, Two hundred and fifteen for the top ones. Yeah. So they're well, they're cheaper than the likes of the Sony XM4s. Uh, so that you know, it's not not overly expensive. Um, the other ones are also. Uh, uh, are even more expensive. Actually, they're no longer available. Uh, there's a 248. Yeah, they're there. So 248 for those. Yeah, so they're slightly more expensive. Yeah, so they'd be all around that mark. Uh, the next ones are the Sony MDR 7506 studio headphones. And they look like a traditional kind of studio cans kind of a, a look to them. They look like... A, old kind of broken ones we had inside in the box here in the studio from like 20 years ago. Uh, they have that kind of style about them, but they kind of look nice in a retro way. Uh, so they're the Sony MDR7506. Uh, they're workhorse headphones, they call them. Comfortable to wear, great sounding. Uh, reasons to avoid. Long coiled cable is quite heavy, but that wouldn't bother me too much. Uh, next ones are Sennheiser HD206. Uh, the best studio headphones for making music for less. Um, so these are uh, closed back over here, same as the last ones. That they're all the same kind of style. Um, they wouldn't have; they're only twenty-four ohm up, uh, impedance. Um, it doesn't say the driver size. It just says it's a dynamic closed driver. Uh, but these would be a more of a budget-focused um, headphones. Uh, I was trying to open a link there actually to check the price of them. But uh, it won't open for me, of course. Um, yeah, th I think these are not too expensive. I think they're uh, they're only twenty or thirty euro or something. They're kind of entry level ones. I think we had a pair of them here actually before, and and they work quite well. Uh, next one on the list is the Sennheiser HD twenty five, um, another on year one, um, impedance seventy, and uh, the. Reasons to buy, pro-choice, lightweight, robust, uh, but the downsides is not the comfiest ear, ear pads. Number six on the list is the Audio-Technica ATH M50X studio headphones. Um, the Same thing, closed back over ear. Uh, they're affordable, DJ-friendly, comfortable, and very uh, not very detailed high-end. Uh, so the audio wouldn't be the most detailed high-end, but they're good for... Um, they're good for uh, DJs and things like that. Um, some have the 
the double connections on it. This one doesn't now. It just has an adapter, I think, on it. Um, I know the likes of which, which would be kind of one of my recommendations. They have they're kind of um, entry level to medium range uh, when it comes to price. But I found them very good. Is uh, one audio. They're um, they've been around for maybe the last eight or nine years and they started off doing headphones and now they're doing microphones and they're doing um like little usb uh things usb c that you plug into your phone it has a wireless microphone and they do they're doing lots of different bits but um the the great uh trick that they have is the the two headphones have plugs for the cable and one is a small 3.5 mil and one is a 6.5 mil and it's one cable that plugs in, uh, you know, to either side one, with with the two different size ends on it. So what mean what that means is, um, if you're in a studio or if you're doing a podcast and you need the big jack, you can just plug that in and plug in the other side of the headphones. And if you need to plug into your phone or plug into a computer with the small three point five mil jack. You can just plug the big jack in the other side and plug that into your computer. So you're never, uh, whatever situation you're in, as long as your phone or computer or the the studio you're in or audio mixer or whatever it is has a jack connection of either size, it will fit. Uh, so it's very handy for that purpose. Now they do other ones as well with um, with uh, noise cancelling and things like that. Now, I haven't tried those. I've just tried the basic ones because they're the ones I kind of use here in the studio uh, and editing audio and things like that. And they are quite neutral. They're not overly... I wouldn't say they were completely flat audio, but um, I don't think they... They over like I've used like beats uh, by Dre and they, you know, add a lot of uh, bass and things like that. They don't add a huge amount of bass and especially they do a studio one, which I think would be more even more neutral again. Uh, So they would be I think they start about 25 euro up to like 100 euro. Uh, and yeah, they, and they, most of them have those, the, the two connections, uh, which is very handy. Uh, so, uh, they would be my kind of, uh, recommendation for, you know, unless you want to go really high end, but anything from entry level to, to mid range, they would be quite handy. Um, but also I have used um, Audio-Technica. I found them very good as well. Also, of course, my daily uh, outdoor and, well, all-rounders are kind of my Sony XM4s. Uh, no, there's XM5s out now since, uh, but um, I found the XM4s. Like, if I wanted the highest-end audio of all, over all of the ones, I would definitely use the Sonys. Uh, but they're uh, they're they have like rechargeable uh, battery. Yeah, they'd be more of an all rounder. If I'm traveling or anything, I always have those with me uh, because they're very handy for that. Uh, but when it comes to just pure studio, just the convenience of it, those uh, those one audios are handy for that. Um, number seven in the list here is the Bear Dynamic DT900X Pro. Uh, so Bear Dynamic seem to feature quite heavily on uh, the studio recommendations. Um, these ones, the DT900 Pro X, uh, are bulletproof build quality, extremely comfortable, neutral, natural sound, br- and brilliant for mixing. Not the best choice for tracking uh, is the one of the downsides, and the other one is not very portable. Um, let's see, number eight is the Audio-Technica. Yeah, I was talking about those earlier. They're, those are quite good as well. Uh, the ATH-R70X. 
Uh, same thing, they're the open back over here. Um, 470 ohm impedance, um, 45 millimeter uh, driver. Um, good st stereo separation, unique headband design, great clarity and detail, and reasons to avoid is the coil cable option. Uh, oh, a coil cable would have been nice. It only has a straight cable, not a coil. I find the, co the coil cable is a bit of a lifesaver, all right, because I have a habit sometimes of having the headphones maybe around my neck after finishing editing or something, and then I get up and walk away from my chair, and the coil gives you a little bit of leeway for the time that you realize that you still have the headphones on before the time that you pull out the jack and and uh, or pull the computer off the table. I've nearly done that a couple of times as well, a laptop or something like that, and I drag it, especially whatever angle it's plugged in at. If the headphones is plugged in on the far side <coughs> of the way I'm getting up and walking away, it'll literally drag the whole computer, uh, the whole uh, laptop off the table. I've done that a couple of times, but since I've got these coiled ones, it's never happened to me. I have walked a little bit and in the spring has has sprung <laughs> and let me know that um, I'm still wearing the headphones um, and and to take them off first before I walk away from the table. You know, you'd get someone to call you and you get up all of a sudden and walk and I forget they're still around my neck or forget Remember, they're still around my neck, but forget they're still plugged into the laptop or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that can that can happen. So a coiled cable is very handy for that. Uh, number nine on the list is another Bear Dynamic, the DT1770 Pro, the best studio headphone for mixing low-end frequencies. So if you're mixing a lot of bassy music and things like that, if you're doing a dance music or something like that, um, they, these, they'd recommend those ones. They're superb sound quality, well built, uh, great low in detail and reasons to avoid. Not a budget friendly option. Shop elsewhere on the list for better value for money. So if you just want out and out uh, low end audio editing kind of quality, they'd be the ones to go. And number 10 is the Austrian Audio H uh, or High dash x65 austrian audio high x65 and uh, they're another another open ear 44 millimeter high-end uh, driver uh, neutral sonic signature very comfortable fit excellent detail and separation and two detachable cables uh, 1.2 mil and 3 mil less well known than audio technica sennheiser and all is the reason to avoid um, so they look quite nice as well they're not a brand that I'm familiar with, but uh, yeah, they look quite nice. Uh, so that's the top 10 list here from musicradar.com in case you wanted to have a look yourself. Um, yeah, it gives a little, yeah. The, the, so back up to say the number one was the Focalist and Professional Headphones. They said they're the best studio headphones for all music production needs, the best all-rounders for, for that kind of thing. Uh, the Bear Dynamic DT700 is the best all-round closed-back studio headphones. Um... The Sony MDR7560 is still topping the charts after 35 years. Oh, that's why they look. They're the ones I was saying. They look old-fashioned. That's why. Um, because they are. <laughs> the Sennheiser HD206 Studio Headphones. The best studio headphones for making music for less. The best budget ones. And... Um, the Sennheiser HD25, the best studio headphones if you want, and tried and tested DJ favorite. Yeah, and I have used those before. I think I found those quite good as well. So, uh, number six, the yeah, the Audio Technica ATH M50X is one of the best all-round headphones for music production as well. 
so yeah, that's a good look through some of the headphones there. And uh, as I say, the the one audios are also handy as well for the the multi purpose. Just for that, uh, you know, the audio would be good to to very good but not super high end you know you'd be spending a couple of hundred quid for the super high end but um a good nude for a podcast is perfect you know that kind of thing uh, and also the, all those ones on the list to be quite good as well especially if you don't need to be changing cables all the time you can get just one with a set you know the the bigger cable if you have a mixer or smaller if you have a a different mixer with the 3.5 mil or you're just uh if you're using the likes of a USB mic and on your computer and you're using a uh, just a uh, headphones, uh, normal headphones. Uh, you can you could get one with a smaller jack in it. So, so the Meta Quest Pro is cutting is a cutting edge headset looking for an audience. So, um, Facebook and Meta, uh, as they're as they're called now, have a new headset, uh, a, a virtual reality headset, and it's going to be pretty high end. It's going to be costing fifteen hundred dollars. Um, which is probably around 1500 euro here as well. Uh, there's an article here talking about it. Uh, even after eight years, Meta's formerly, formerly Facebook's virtual reality headsets are typically bulky front-heavy affairs, but the Quest Pro rests around my head easily, so they're much smaller now. They're just like, um, if you think of those skiing goggles, those kind of big bulky goggles, they look like those kind of, but they have a little bit of a band on them as well. Uh, to support your forehead um and are they headphones as well uh there's just a kind of a picture here of them and they uh they do mention what i was thinking as well it looks like a a bigger pair of glasses or even your typical ski mask yeah so they, that's it it's a major step forward for the biggest vr headset maker around um yeah so they're definitely much smaller than your than your say your playstation vr or your traditional ones all right uh, it's clear uh, that step is going for now. I'm sure um, where it's landed, the Quest Pro is a $1,400 or $1,500 variation on the $399 Meta Quest 2, improving on the headset in several ways. From better ergonomics to an upgraded processor, it adds eye tracking, which is the same as the, the new PlayStation VR that's coming out as well, and a high-end resolution uh, color video feed that blurs the conventional line between virtual and augmented reality. In theory, the Quest Pro primes Meta to enter a professional orientated VR market that has so far been an afterthought for the Quest. Uh, this is the highest end VR device for enthusiasts and uh, the prosumer, the sort of people who are trying to get work done, uh, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg told The Verge and a small group of reporters during a recent demo at the company's research division in Redmond, Washington. Meta will continue selling the Quest 2, putting the Quest Pro in a separate high-end category. Uh, so they think that they'll be, I presume what they're thinking in mind for this is that they'll be um, a, a bank and their one of their their chairman will be in Washington, and their you know their CEO will be in Tokyo, and you know someone else will be in Ireland, and the, all three of them will be able to sit down and have a meeting with each other, uh, like they're in each other's presence by using this virtual reality headset. They can see each other, and they can all uh, have meetings with each other, and even pass virtual documents around and do different things like that, have a virtual meeting room or something like that. Uh, you know, so that's what they're thinking for those. Or it's designers or, you know, people that can, you know, 
put a layout for a city uh, blocks together uh, using the headset, build them, and you know uh, something like that. Uh, like do do a kind of design work virtually or something like that. So um, yeah, there's lots of different uh, uh, applications that can be used with the high end. The in theory anyway uh, well in certain amount of a uh, certain amount of use as well so far but but going forward uh, it could be used a lot more if uh, if the, if it keeps improving as it is uh, in practice the MetaQuest Pro seems a bit uh, uh, like a sophisticated development kit more geared towards testing next-gen technology than filling specific needs. Maybe uh, I'll feel different when the headset ships on October 25th but it's not now clear how strong a case Meta will make for a 1500 device whose uh, pragmatic um, benefits for many businesses remain debatable. And there's one major downgrade from the Quest 2, a hit to battery life that could make the Quest Pro less attractive to some of the customers uh, it's meant to reach. Uh, Meta has long seeded the high-end uh, of VR uh, companies like HTC, Vario and Valve. But the Quest Pro changes that. Uh, the headset bumps the Meta Quest 2's internal specs. Um, there's a Snapdragon XR2 Plus processor instead of the Quest XR2 12 gig uh, instead of 6 gig. Oh yeah, so it's just double the, the processor, um, double the memory. And 256 gig of storage instead of 128 gig. Uh, it weighs 722 grams, where the other one is 503 grams. But the downside, it has less uh, battery life. So it's pretty much a, a kind of a, an improvement on the on the the previous model, and it's kind of making it smaller and lighter. And they're hoping that, that uh, businesses will take it on. The cameras finally realize the dream of the rendering that sharpens images just where you're looking. A feature that will also be in the Sony PlayStation VR two. Yeah, so they've they've taken that on board as well. So yeah, that'll be very interesting to see uh, how it will be um, taken up on the uh, by businesses and things like that. If it will find uh, find a use there, uh, U.S. chip sanctions kneecap China's tech industry. Uh, this is in Wired. Uh, the toughest export restrictions yet to cut off AI hardware and chip making tools crucial to China's commercial and military ambitions. Uh, last month, the Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba revealed a powerful new cloud computing system designed for artificial intelligence products. Uh, it is used by Alibaba's cloud customers to train algorithms for tasks like chatbot dialogue and video analysis, and was built using hundreds of chips from U.S. companies Intel and NVIDIA. Last week, the U.S. announced new export restrictions that will make future products like that unlikely. The Biden administration rules forbid companies from exporting advanced chips needed to train or run the most powerful AI algorithms to China. The sweeping new controls are designed to keep the country's AI industry uh, stuck in the dark ages while the US and other Western countries advance. The restrictions also block the export of chip-making equipment and design software and ban the world's leading silicone fabricators including Taiwan's TSMC and South Korea's Samsung from manufacturing advanced chips for Chinese companies. So I suppose the US side of it would be is that they don't want their they've they've had a few different complaints in the past about their technology being uh, you know um, reverse engineered and copied or that they're using the technology to kind of monitor their um 
population. Uh, so, you know, you'd hear about that if somebody um, said something against the government or something like that, that suddenly they wouldn't be able to buy train tickets or they wouldn't, they'd be banned from traveling when they tried to use their credit cards or use things like that. And uh, these algorithms would run that kind of thing. And, there, you know, there's, there's cameras everywhere watching who's driving what car and where they're going at what time and everything is being monitored and there's a whole uh, like a what do they call it like a social credit score system i think they call it something like that so and uh ai would have a big um part to play in that so i presume that's what uh what the us would give as an answer for that um that it's been used for kind of nefarious reasons like an example is like tiktok and things like that as well that they their spyware apps pretty much uh, a lot of people say that uh, if you read the terms of service or read what the, what the, you if you install the app and you agree to all the different things that they can access your camera and your microphone and things like that so um, that would all be using different types of AI and things like that um, so they would say that they don't want to to be enabling that on a, on a bigger scale I suppose uh, scientists have discovered a new set of blood groups. The ER grouping could help doctors identify and treat some rare cases of blood incompatibility, including between pregnant mothers and fetuses. Uh, the unborn baby was in trouble. Uh, its mother's doctors in a, at a UK hospital knew there was something wrong with the fetus's blood, so they decided to perform an emergency C-section many weeks before the baby was due. But despite this and subsequent blood transfusions, the baby suffered a brain hemorrhage with devastating consequences and it sadly passed away. It wasn't why the bleeding had happened, but there was a clue in the mother's blood where doctors had noticed some strange antibodies. Sometime later, as the medics tried to find out more about them, a sample of the mother's blood arrived at a lab in Bristol. Run by researchers who study blood groups, they made a startling discovery. The woman's blood was of an ultra-rare type, which may have made her baby's blood incompatible with her own. It's possible that the baby prompted, or that this prompted her immune system to produce antibodies against her baby's blood. Antibodies uh, that then crossed the placenta and harmed her child, ultimately leading to its loss. It may seem implausible that such a thing could happen, but many decades ago, before doctors had a better understanding of blood groups, it was a much more common occurrence. Um, through study of the mother's blood sample, along with a number of, other, uh, of others, scientists were able to unpick exactly what made her blood different, and in the process confirmed a new set of blood grouping, the ER system. Um, the 44th to be described. Uh, you're probably familiar with the, main, the four main blood groups, A, B, O, and AB. Uh, but uh, this isn't the only blood classification system. There are many ways of grouping red blood cells based on differences in the sugars or proteins that coat their surface, known as antigens. Uh, the grouping system uh, systems run concurrently so your blood can be classified in each. It might, for instance, be O in the ABO system, positive rather than negative, under the rhesus system, and so on. I don't. don't this is this is <laughs> this is above my knowledge level, but uh, yeah. But they seem to have found a, a new blood grouping anyway, an ultra rare blood grouping, and um, hopefully in the future they might be able to help uh, if that kind of incident haps, happens again. Uh, hopefully they might be able to help um, the next mother that comes along due to the discoveries they made from this one. 
Uh, NASA says DART really clocked that asteroid. So uh, as we know, last week, um, NASA did a kind of a bit of an experiment. They they launched a, a kind of a rocket at a at an asteroid to see if it could actually change its trajectory uh, in case in the future there's something heading towards Earth and see if it would work um, if it was an actual dangerous asteroid. And uh, um, the spacecraft collided with Dimorphos, a researcher development that had knocked the space rock 32 minutes off its old orbit. Um, two weeks ago, the asteroid Dimorphos was minding its own business, quietly orbiting around its partner, uh, Diamos, when suddenly NASA's DART spacecraft plowed into it at 14,000 miles an hour. The space agency and its partners planned that collision to see whether such an impact could alter an asteroid or comet's trajectory. Such uh, humanity never ever need to so should humanity ever need to defend the planet from an oncoming space rock before the crash on september 26 uh, dimorph dimorphus uh, circled the, its neighbor like clockwork uh, one lap every 11 hours and 55 minutes uh, if the dart was successful the proof would be a change in that orbital orbital period showing that a refrigerator sized spacecraft uh, had nudged the asteroid into a different path. Uh, now the DART team has an answer. It worked. Even better than expected. For the first time ever, humanity has changed the orbit of a planetary body, uh, said Laurie Glaze, director of the Planetary Science Division at NASA's headquarters in Washington at a press conference. Uh, the team could have considered a 10-minute difference in uh, success says NASA's chief Bill Nelson, but the DART actually shortened the asteroid's orbit by a whopping 32 minutes. Uh, so it takes uh, 32 minutes less to get around the, the planet it was circling um, or the orbit that it was uh, taking. So that's that's quite good. Uh, so it, it shows it was effective and it knocked it out of, uh, out of trajectory. So if there was something heading directly towards Earth and we hit it, it depends on the size and the size of the payload we're able to send to hit it. It can actually knock it uh, out of uh, out of orbit and maybe not hit Earth. So that's quite good. Uh, now I suppose they can kind of have ready-made um, anti-meteor system or something that uh, that would be ready for if, if anything was spotted coming towards Earth. Uh, battery technology breakthrough paves the way for mass adoption of affordable electric cars. Research developed new technique that charges EV batteries in just 10 minutes. So that's very good. Uh, the 10-minute fast-charging battery was developed for electric cars with the black box on the top containing a battery management system to control the module. So I'm looking at a picture here. So it's like a flat... Uh, module uh, like rectangular with a black box on top that kind of controls the charging. University Park uh, in PA is that Pennsylvania? I'm not sure. PA in um, in America. A breakthrough in electric vehicle battery design has enabled a 10 minute charge time for a typical EV battery. Uh, the record breaking combination of a shorter charge time and more energy acquired for longer travel range was announced uh, on October the 12th in the journal Nature. Uh, the need for smaller, faster charging batteries is, is greater than ever, said um, Chow Yang Wang, the William E. Differender Professor of Mechanical Engineering at Penn State and lead author of the study. There are simply not enough batteries and critical raw materials, especially those produced domestically, to meet anticipated demand. 
In August, uh, California's Air Resources Board passed an extensive plan to restrict and ultimately ban the sale of gasoline-powered cars within the state by 2035. The largest auto market in the United States will effectively retire the internal combustion engine. Um, And people were saying that, that, yeah, that the... The infrastructure is far behind where it needs to be at the moment and it's not catching up fast enough, uh, but uh, it will. I suppose it will have to. But this might help where you'd have faster charging uh, batteries. So it could be, you know, uh, you, you could be, instead of holding up um, a charging uh, place for an hour, an hour and a half, uh, you could have it done in 10 or 15 minutes and be gone and the next person, uh, and I'm sure that would improve again. You know, this is a prototype, so that would be improving again. So uh, maybe it'll end up um, uh, the same as filling up a petrol or diesel car now that you can, uh, plug it in and it'll go you know one two three four five six seven and just count up and you're up to 100 percent in you know in five minutes or less uh that'd be brilliant uh, if the new car sales are going to shift to battery-powered electric vehicles wang explained they need to overcome two major drawbacks they are too slow to recharge and too large to be efficient and affordable Instead of taking a few minutes at the gas pump, depending on the battery, some EVs can take all day to recharge. Yeah, that's true, especially how much electricity you have going in as well. If you don't have fast charging, if you're using a home outlet or something, it can take up to 24 hours to charge a car fully. Our our fastest charging technology works for most energy-dense batteries and will open a new possibility to downsize electric vehicle batteries from 150 to 50 kilowatt hours without causing drivers to feel range anxiety. Uh, Those lab partnered, so they want to shrink the battery. Yeah, I don't know if that's the best thing either uh, because you'll have to be stopping more often. How about just keep the capacity and have less charging so there's less uh, strain on the infrastructure where what it means, you know, you can just stop for five minutes and that'll keep you going for another 400 miles rather than uh, putting smaller batteries in, you know, they're thinking more of the creating the battery, the technology for that rather than the infrastructure not catching up quick enough so it all depends on which is more necessary i suppose if it's a shortage of materials for making batteries then that could be the problem but um they're also trying to make longer life batteries you know elon musk has talked about a million mile battery that you could change you know uh you could actually take the battery out of a used car and put it in a newer car actually reuse the same battery you know because a lot of cars wouldn't be doing a million miles so um it could actually, you could have your car, you know, end of life, 300,000 miles and take it out and it could give life to another car. You know, it could do three cars, you know, um, in its life. So if the if the technology was, uh, if it was uh, as good as uh, that's been talked about. So um, I, th- I think that would put people off of buying cars if, okay, it can charge a bit faster, it can charge at 10 minutes, but you have to charge it every 50 miles or something. Um, I don't know if that would be uh, maybe around cities or something like that. It would be if you're not going that far, you're tra- traveling a couple of miles to to your workplace and a couple of miles back or something like that, or in like motorcycles or something like that that wouldn't need huge batteries and could charge really quick. It would be brilliant for that. Uh, the smaller, faster charging batteries will dramatically cut down battery cost and usage. Well, the cost because it's just less materials uh, and the usage of critical raw materials such as cobalt, graphite and lithium, enabling mass adaption of affordable electric cars. 
the technology relies on internal thermal modulation, an active method of temperature control uh, to demand the best performance possible uh, from the battery. The battery, the battery operates most efficiently when they are hot, um, but not too hot. Keeping batteries consistently at just the right temperature has been a major challenge for battery engineers. Historically, they have relied on external bulky heating and cooling systems to regulate battery temperature, which responds slowly and wastes a lot of energy. Uh, Wang and his team decided to instead regulate the temperature from inside the battery. Researchers uh, developed a new battery structure that adds an ultra-thin nickel foil as a fourth component besides anode, electrode and cathode, uh, adding it as a stimulus. The nickel foil self-regulates the battery's temperature and reactively allows uh, for a 10-minute fast charging on just about any EV battery. So that's very good. Um... Let's see what else we have. Xbox versus PlayStation. Giants clash over Call of Duty. So I saw a few headlines about that, but I haven't uh, seen too many. I haven't read into it yet. Um, Xbox owner Microsoft has hit back at claims its plan to buy the maker of Call of Duty may unfairly affect its rivals, including Sony, which owns PlayStation. Uh, Microsoft wants to buy Activision Blizzard, which also makes Overwatch and Candy Crush for $68.7 billion. Uh, the UK watchdog looking into its plans has said Microsoft could use Activision games to outcompete its rivals. Microsoft said it still hoped the deal would be closed by June 2023. Uh, competition regulators in Saudi Arabia and Brazil have already approved it. But last month, the Competition and Markets Authority announced it would be acting as an independent panel or asking an independent panel to look into the proposal. Activation Blizzard is one of the world's largest video game developers and publishers, and the Call of Duty franchise has attracted millions of players. And the CMA um, suggested uh, buying it could allow Microsoft to monopolize top games such as Call of Duty by making them available primarily on Xbox consoles, PCs, and Game Pass, its cloud gaming service. Uh, in a detailed account of its decision to launch an in-depth investigation uh, published today, the CMA says that Call of Duty is sufficiently important that losing access to it or losing access on a competitive term could significantly impact Sony's revenues and her and user bases. It also said that Microsoft has followed this approach in several past acquisitions of gaming studios where it made future game releases from these studios exclusive to Xbox. Microsoft said it committed it is committed to keeping Activision existing titles including Call of Duty available on the PlayStation but future titles could be treated differently. So yeah, so that yeah, that's interesting. Committed to keeping Activision titles uh, existing titles. Also, oh, would that mean that future Call of Duty games would be included or is it the existing games that they could bring out, you know, Call, uh, Call of Duty World War 3 uh, 2023 and but that wouldn't be included or would it still be uh, it's 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 up in the air I'd say uh, Microsoft already owns 23 game makers including Minecraft uh, maker Mojang and Fallout and Skyrim creator Bethesda Bethesda's upcoming Starfield game will now be an Xbox and PC exclusive and the CMA suggested that it could also be the case for the studio's Elder Scrolls uh, based on Microsoft's public statement. So, yeah, they're they're saying one thing, but they're doing another thing. They're exclusive. They're making a lot of these games exclusive. So, 
Um, yeah, uh, that'd be interesting, all right. But uh, I suppose if they own the company, they have the right to do it. But then it's uh, it's affecting other companies and there's competition laws and there's monopoly laws and things like that. Uh, lab-grown brain cells play video game Pong. <laughs> That's this is uh, an unusual story. Researchers have grown brain cells in a lab that have learned to play the 1970s tennis game like video uh, tennis like video game pong. Uh, they say their mini brain can sense and respond to its environment. Writing in the journal Neuron, Dr. Brett Kagan of the company Cortical Labs claims to have created the first sentient lab-grown uh, brain in a dish. Other experts describe the work as exciting, but saying calling the brain cell sentient is going too far. Uh, we could find no better term to describe the device, Dr. Kagan said. It's able to take in information from external source, process it, and respond to it in real time. Mini brains were first produced, I've never heard of this before, in 2013 to study uh, micro C-E-P-H-A-L-Y. Microcephaly, a genetic disorder where the brain is too small and have since been used to research into brain development. But this is the first time that they have been plugged into and interacted with an external environment, in in this case a video game. Um, grew human brain cells, uh, so the research team grew human brain cells grown from stem cells and some from mouse embryos to a collection of over 800,000, connected this mini-brain to the video game via electrodes, revealing uh, which side the ball was on and how far from the paddle. Uh, uh, in response, the cells produced electrical activity of their own. Uh, they expanded less energy as the game continued. But when the ball passed the paddle and the game restarted with a ball at the random point, they expended more recalibrating to a new unpredictable situation. The mini brain learned to play in five minutes. Uh, it often missed the ball, but its success rate was well above random chance. Although with no cons uh, consciousness, it does not know it is playing Pong in the way a human player would. The researchers stress. That's very strange. Very strange story. Uh, Russia confirms Meta's designation as an ex as extremist. Uh, the Russian authorities have added Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, uh, to a list of terrorist and extremist organizations, the country's uh, Interfax agency reports. The two platforms were banned in Russia in March for Russophobia. Uh, it followed Meta's announcement it would permit posts such as... Um, it would permit posts such as debt to Russian invaders, but not credible threats against civilians. Uh, Meta appealed against the ban, but it was uh, upheld by Moscow court in June. Uh, the ban did not apply to WhatsApp, okay, which Meta also owns. Uh, the US technology giant has rejected accusations. It promotes anti-Russian sentiment. In March, a Meta official told BBC News it was making a temporary exemption to its normal policies in light of ongoing invasion of, of Ukraine to allow those affected to express violent sentiments towards invading, invading armed forces. So they've been, uh, they've been banned in Russia uh, because of that. Uh, last few stories, Netflix signs up to a ratings body barb. Netflix has signed up to a TV ratings agency barb, which means its audiences will be measured by an external independent body for the first time. 
Uh, so that'll be interesting. And just to finish up the last few bits, roller coaster rides trigger emergency calls from new iPhones. So I heard this that um, uh, there was new technology built in, or technology built into the new iPhone that kind of uh, called emergency services if it if it uh, its sensors thought you were in a car crash. And roller coasters have been setting it off. Uh, the people's pockets in their phones have been uh, calling 911 over in America um, because they thought uh, people were in a car crash when they were actually on a roller coaster. Uh, and that's that's about it now for today. I hope you've enjoyed Tech Thursday for today. I've been Patrick Sheehan, and as always, you can call 069-66200. You can text or WhatsApp 0871-669800. And as always, you can email patrick102fm at gmail.com. This has been Tech Thursday, and I've been Patrick Sheehan. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. You're listening to Tech Thursday on West Limerick 102 FM.